0: Hello and good evening everyone as usual welcome to Wednesday night uh, service here at Word of Faith Global Ministries. I want to just welcome you and thank you so much for joining me tonight. I have a lot of stuff to cover with you tonight and I just pray that you are ready, that you disregard all distractions and everything that's coming your way. Uh, Put your phone away, turn off your TV unless you're watching this message here uh, or uh, just get get away from all types of distractions because I'm telling you tonight is going to be a full, full night. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you and I want to welcome you uh, to tonight's service. But at the same time, I want to just thank you for uh, inviting us into your living space as always. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, thank you for uh, making it a priority for you to tune in on wednesday nights and uh, hear what the lord has to say for us uh, in this present time uh, in this time uh, that we're living in because uh how many of you know that we can learn and glean from scripture in so many ways that uh we can we can make uh it our own for today in uh, this day and age and we can learn from it in so such deep and profound ways so once again thank you so much for being here tonight. I would encourage you to share this message. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, I hope you do so because I was having a conversation with someone recently that um, in order for them to know when we're going to go live, they could just subscribe and, and turn on the notifications of when we're live. So that will you know, immediately give them the opportunity to watch the message. Uh, however, I uh, just want to uh, thank you again. Um, I want to encourage you not to forget to, if you didn't, if you weren't at church on Sunday, last Sunday, this past Sunday, or if you didn't uh, catch it online, I highly encourage you, I, I urge you to watch uh, last Sunday's message. It was power packed, uh, my son, our son, Pastor Ricky Jr. actually came and gave a very on time and powerful word and it was on point, it was so beautiful and I really encourage you to take a listen to it and share it with your family and your friends as well uh, because it's it's a very powerful uh, message in and of itself. Uh, I also wanna encourage you, if you've missed any of the seven churches, the message to the seven churches that we've talked about already that we've given in Wednesday, on Wednesday nights, Go back and catch up because they are some pretty amazing messages um, that God has been giving us throughout these few weeks. So I do encourage you to take a listen to those. Um, Let me pray real quick because I want to just get right into this tonight. And uh, I want to cover quite a few pieces of information as we finish off this uh, message today. So Father, thank you once again for your word. It is alive and well, Lord, as we know that you are alive and well, oh God. And we thank you so much that we can uh, take uh, your word, Father, and make it our own. Lord, that we can learn from it every single day of our lives. So I pray, Father, that the seed of your word that is spoken today falls on good soil and it produces much fruit. In this time, Father God, especially that we're living in. I thank you, Lord, for those that are listening now. I thank you for those that are going to be listening in the future. And I thank you, Father, for their lives. And we speak a blessing over them. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray. Amen and amen. Now look at the person next to you on either side or maybe in the kitchen and say, Get ready. Here he comes. Here he comes. So um, last week, we covered the first part of uh, the message to the church in Pergamum, if you recall. And uh, many of you have already caught uh, the other messages that we gave a few weeks back. Uh, we started with, obviously, Ephesus, and then we went on to Smyrna. Last week, we, be- we began the two-part series to the message of the message to the church in Pergamum, and there was so much information last week that um, I had to make it in two parts just so that it could be covered appropriately. I I don't wanna skim through things because I know that there are certain uh, deep nuggets that we can take away from uh, from the Bible, especially in the church, in the message, the messages to the churches, the seven churches in the Book of Revelation. So tonight we're actually going to conclude the second part of the message to the church in Pergamum. Okay, so tonight is the last portion of that. We're going to go straight into it, and I would love for you to turn to. Uh, Revelation chapter number two. We read this last week. We're going to read it again. It's just a few short verses. And at the same time, I'm going to um, give you a little bit of a review, if you will, of last week's message very quickly, just so that We can get a better understanding and catch up. And then we'll go on with the message. So bear with me on that. Once again, Revelation chapter number 2. If you're ready, say amen. And we're going to start in verse 12 and run through verse uh, 17. And it says the following. Remember, this is in red letters. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. We know from the message we gave last week that this was actually a um, martyr that Jesus mentions here. The verse 14 actually goes on to say, but I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat, the, to eat things sacrificed to, to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. We touched on that at length last week, but we're going we're gonna to just kind of review that and continue a little bit more about that today. And then it says in verse 15, So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. If you recall, we we talked a little bit about the Nicolaitans in the message to the church in Ephesus. We're going to go over that a little bit today as well. Therefore, in verse 16, Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Glory to God. We're going to go over all of these uh, very n- detailed um. Uh, uh, phrases that Jesus is actually talking about here in the book of Revelation. Hey, before I begin, I do want to, now that I've got your attention, I do want to remind you that our church is open. We are in the city of Miami Springs and uh, at 81 Hook Square, Word of Faith Global Ministries. For those of you that have not visited our church, we would love to invite you to come and uh, visit our church. We're being very safe. We have our masks on. Everybody is is uh, uh taking note of the um the six feet social distancing we're always cleaning the the congregation trust me it's a safe environment praise the lord so we invite you to come and visit us at 81 hook square in the city of miami springs we've got things going on throughout the week we have a spanish group that happens via zoom actually on uh, on monday nights and then on tuesdays at church we actually have our men's group at 7 p.m don't miss it guys just come and it's a wonderful time for y'all to get together and pray together and read the Word of God together and just to have accountability together as well. And then on Wednesdays, you have this, which is our Wednesday night live streaming service. This is done live streaming, not at the church. So we invite you to join us every Wednesday at 8 p.m. is on Wednesday nights. And also then on Thursdays, the last Thursday of every month is our women's group. Don't miss out women's group. Uh, That's at 7 p.m. and that is at church. Um, Then we've got our Fridays. Every single Friday at our church, at our physical church, we get together for prayer and for uh, praise and worship. So don't miss out on that. And that's at 7 p.m. Uh, again, on Sundays, it's at 10 a.m. Now, for those of you that are staying home because you're staying safe, um, you have some underlining conditions or whatever the case may be, you're not feeling well, be sure to know that on Sundays, we ha- we begin live streaming at around 10.45 a.m. or so because we get done with all the announcements and things of that at church and then when the uh, word is going to be given is when we go live stream, so just keep that in in mind, and that's via Facebook and as well as YouTube, like here. So I just wanted to get those messages, uh, those little mini announcements out, if you will. Now, I'm gonna review, uh, I wish I had a bigger space here, maybe one of these days I'll get one of these big, long tables and just sit there so that we can um, you know do one of those uh, nice uh, teachings like that uh, but I'm gonna just do use what I can I'm gonna go ahead and i I'm gonna uh, review just some highlighted points of what we talked about last week so that we can kind of tie it all in and to uh, this week as we're closing the second part here of the church in pergamum remember we're here speaking about the message that Jesus gave to the church in pergamum now um, to review here that some of the things that we talked about last week, uh, occult practices um, and numerous forms of very disgusting paganism was practiced with pride and celebrations in uh, the church in Pergamum, and that goes the same for. Uh, 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 pretty much all of the churches in Asia Minor during that time. There was a lot of paganism going on. And um, if you didn't take part or tolerate such methods, you were seen as intolerant uh, and deemed a target for discrimination and oppression. Uh, If you recall last week, we talked pretty much about the, uh, the great altar of Zeus, which actually towered over the city. As this enormous structure was visible above Pergamum on the upper upper ledge of the mountain, which resembled a giant throne, and this is uh, one of the reasons why I believe that Jesus talks about twice. He mentions twice in the scriptures we just read. Um, I know where uh, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This is a direct reference to that because of the paganism and the occult practices that were taking place there. Now, uh, also we talked about the fact that there was also the practice of the Asclepios, I always have trouble saying that word, it's a tongue twister, but it's Asclepios uh, cult in Pergamum, which was known as the Greek god of healing, and we talked about how Multitudes actually traveled to this region seeking healing for their physical bodies by visiting the Asclepion, the Asclepion, which was a massive, massive complex of about 154,000 square feet, Uh, and it was known for therapeutic and healing centers in the Roman world. And you might say, well, what does that have? You know, I mean. That was probably a good thing. People went there and got their healing. Well, the fact of the matter is that uh, there uh, there was a lot of um, ungodly practices, if I do say so, uh, according to history, uh, in that uh, Asclepios um, uh, location. And so, but besides that, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. So... You need not actually go to see a pagan or pagan gods or go through these rituals, which is what they would do in order to get their healing, supposedly to get their healing. And there was all sorts of, you know, things going on in that, uh, in that massive complex. If you want to uh, know some more information about that. I encourage you to actually visit last week's message because we go a little bit at length with that. I'm not going to go into that again today. Moving uh, forward in verses 14 and 15, Jesus talks about that he has a few things against uh, them there because there were some, not all, that were teaching um, uh, that were uh, teaching. Uh, as in verse 14 says, you have there's some who hold the teaching of Balaam, and then we actually went through that a, a little bit, but here's where Jesus is about to expose an infection, an infection taking place, in pergamum and and this disease had seeped into the church and jesus was about to address it jesus's double-edged sword which we know that he says here that he's the one with that has the sharp two-edged sword which we know that john saw it in chapter number one as it coming out of his mouth he was about to make war against these individuals by performing the necessary surgery spiritual surgery, if they didn't take care of of the situation themselves by repenting. Uh, There was much compromise taking place during that time and in this church. We read in Numbers 22, because if you are to... Read the scriptures that we just read and not understand. Well, who is Balaam? Who is Balak? What are these teachings that Jesus is talking about? You've got to rewind and go to the Old Testament and go to the uh, chapter 22 of verse in uh, the book of Numbers. And we talked a little bit at length about that last week, but I'm going to touch it just a little bit today because I, I just want to give you a little hint, and then we're going to move on. But again, Balaam. Uh, um, uh, could not curse the Israelites. Balak wanted to hire him to curse the Israelites because he felt threatened. Balaam could not do so. He uh, was unable to do so as every time that he attempted to curse Israel, a blessing would come out instead. And we said that that's because whom God blesses, no one can curse. Now, very quickly, this man was no prophet of God. He was no prophet of God. As a matter of fact, he practiced divination such as foretelling, uh, uh, foretelling the future, consulting with familiar spirits, wizardry, and all this other stuff that was that is an abomination in the eyes of God, okay? So since Balaam was unable to curse Israel in that form, he instead teaches Balak, which is how we read these scriptures, another way of defeating the Israelites. And we talked at length about that last week. This attack would be more subtle and cunning because it was a trap that he placed for the men of Israel. Uh, So what he did was he proposes a stumbling block by telling Balak to send beautiful Moabite women into the Israelites' camp uh, to entice them and lure them into idolatry and fornication. Well, you know, there's uh, just a lot more information that we talked about last week that I don't want to get too much into because I want to get to today's message and is jam-packed, jam-packed, okay? So the main theme of the warning that Jesus is giving to the church in Pergamum is about compromise. There was some compromise that was taking place. And I want you once again this week to lean in and take a listen to what the Spirit of God is trying to tell the church of today. Because we cannot compromise. We cannot compromise or water down the Word of God. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me go on. So, God is so serious about His children not compromising that Jesus Himself comes to address these issues. Okay? Mm -hmm. Going back to what we just talked about, if the men of Israel would not have fallen into the trap of sinning and compromise, the doctrine of Balaam would have failed miserably. But you see, the temptation was too big. It was too enticing and too, and so they compromised. Uh, The compromise took root and they did sin against God. I want to read to you what the Gills Exposition of the Bible states about this. And it says the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab uh, uh, and of. Midian also, as appears from Numbers 25, verse 6, by the advice of Balaam, the Moabites and Midianites found ways and means to become familiar with the Israelites and to introduce their daughters into their company and conversation. I continue to quote here, and being ensnared and enamored with them, they were drawn to commit lewdness, with them and hereby were led on to commit other abominations which brought the divine displeasure upon them so that when they dared not attempt by war and could not affect by sorceries and divinations they accompanied by those iniquitous acts namely bringing the wrath the curse and the plague of god upon them and i end quote on that very, very deep uh, there. So as a result, at Baal Peor, which is the place and the God and everything that they uh, worshipped there at that time, 1,000 judges, now listen to this, 1,000 judges were hanged and a deadly plague came upon 23,000 men who took part of the sexual sin and idolatry. So all in all, 24,000 men lost their lives as they brought judgment upon themselves. You see, outright disobedience, the sin of idolatry, sexual sin, and compromise have great consequences. Amen? So, and this is what was taking place in Pergamum. Perhaps the pressures of persecution were so intense that some viewed a little compromise wouldn't hurt. They maybe have viewed that a little bit of compromise would, would not hurt. Now, the uh, theologian Robert H. Mounts wrote about this account. He says, Thus, Balaam became a prototype of all corrupt teachers who betrayed believers into fatal compromise with worldly ideologies. Listen. At Pergamum, where Satan's, uh, Satan sat enthroned, some with the church had decided that accommodation was the wisest policy. They taught the way of compromise. End quote. Little did they know that Jesus Himself would be pointing out this sin and error in such a direct and dramatic fashion. So, what I want us to understand and get a hold of today is that we can never compromise the Word of God. We can never compromise what God has to say in a matter at all. We cannot have one foot in the world and one foot with, with God, with the things of God. It does not work. I don't want to get ahead, ahead of myself. Let me go on. Let me go on. Jesus was pointing out to the church in Pergamum that a spiritual infection was spreading. And how many of us know that when a, an infection begins to spread, hello, we're living right now in, in in the, in the time that we're living in because of COVID-19, the coronavirus. So we have to wear a mask, we have to stay distant, uh, we have to be washing our hands, we can't uh, be flippantly, you know, going places without a mask and just talking over people and our, our um, you know, our spittle, you know, falls on people and get them infected. Some people could be uh, asymptomatic, whatever the case is. We have to be wise. We have to be wise in the time that we're living in. But guess what? What if we're, if we're, if we don't take the proper precaution, right? Then we can, we can very quickly spread this infection. Well, the same is true with a spiritual infection. You see, we have to stay away from any form of comp- compromise because if we compromise, then we allow that infection to spread to the churches, to, to, to other believers, to people that come in new in the faith. and they, they think, well, if they've been in the, if they've been uh, walking with Christ for many years and they do it, well that I guess it's okay. And we are held accountable people. We are held accountable for the things we teach, for the things we do, for the things we allow, for the things we don't compromise, we do compromise, whatever the case is, we are held responsible. So we've got to be, we've got to be very careful, very careful. So this spiritual infection was spreading that the belief of living for Christ and compromise with the world at the same time was possible. Nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is that it's not possible in the eyes of God. He, he rejects it, and therefore we ought to reject it as well. So the same goes for verse 15. If we look at verse 15, Jesus says, So you also have some who are, who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, Like I said a moment ago, we touched a little bit on the Nicolaitans back in the book of Ephesus, or uh, the message to Ephesus, but the same uh, uh, situation is happening here uh, uh, because uh, Jesus coincides this with what he's talking about, about the teaching of Balaam, that he kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before uh, the sons of Israel. So, in other words, that compromise also was in the same level as the the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, uh, um, we, we, ta- we talked a little bit about who they were back in, in, in the message to Ephesus, but again, we see a message of compromise here with the Nicolaitans. This group taught um, one could serve Jesus while continuing to participate in pagan practices. Let me see if I've got a little bit of room here because I'm going to read something for you in just a minute. But listen... For new converts or those without a firm foundation, this was appealing, especially since many of their family members continued in their pagan practices. So imagine. So it, it was okay. It was okay. A little bit of Jesus and a little bit of idolatry never hurt anyone, they must have thought. So although a bit lengthy, this is what I wanted to get to here in this book that weighs at least. 50 pounds, but uh, although this is a little lengthy, I think that it's crucial that we better understand this teaching in modern day form. Uh, I'm going to quote from a couple of these pages from No Room for Compromise, this book No Room for Compromise, um, indicators of Nicolaitanism in the church today. I'm going to kind of go a little bit through it. I've highlighted it all, but what I want to do is I want to go through some of this so that we can kind of get a little bit of a better understanding um, as to how we can indicate or compare it or uh, be watchful of, be be cognizant of the fact that there, there is an indicator of Nicolaitanism in the church today. Watch this. It says here, and I'm quoting here, it says, The conversation about Nicolaitanism is very relevant to the modern church. In the Christian world today, remember, this book was written years ago. It's not written recently. This is written years ago. This book I'm reading from, which is called uh, No Room for Compromise. And obviously, it's about all of the seven churches that the book of Revelation is about. But listen to what it says. In the Christian world today, there are emerging spiritual leaders like the Nicolaitans of the past seek a dangerous truth with the world under the guise of inclusiveness and compromise. Many of these emerging spiritual leaders once held strong doctrinal positions, but over time, they have shaped their beliefs to meld with the changing moral climate of society. And in the process, they have produced a gospel very different from the one presented in the Bible. Although the world may change, listen, although the world may change, because this is true, the world changes, uh, Hebrews thirteen six teaches that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And truth does not change based on social trends. Boy, I'll tell you what. This reminds me of Pastor Ricky Jr.'s message this past Sunday. I'm going to plug it in yet again. You've got to listen to that message. But watch this. Truth is truth, regardless of the particular brand of immorality and that, so, that society has labeled acceptable. Today, just as before, whenever believers take a firm stand on absolute truth, they are viewed by the world as intolerant. But when it comes to truth, there is no room to mitigate or adapt those who adhere to the doctrine of spiritual compromise generally believe that Christ is just one of many acceptable types of faith. How many of us have not heard that over and over and over again? The big issue to them is not truth, but respect. Listen to this. Consequently, Truth takes a second seat to equally honoring the beliefs of other people, even if those beliefs are diametrically opposed to the doctrines of the Bible. Ultimately, Christ is demoted in their minds, viewed as just one option among many. (laughs) According to this inclusive mindset, everyone is right and no one is wrong. This modern belief system harbors dangerous similarities with both the pagan mindset of the Roman Empire and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that Christ hated. Now, Christ didn't hate the people. Christ hated the teaching. Christ hated the compromise. Christ hated the fact that they were teaching this compromise in the midst of his godly and holy and separated people that's what he hated and that's what he hates nowadays too he hates the compromise he doesn't hate the person so it says as the problem of worldly compromise continues to spread in the church and be promoted by some of today's most visible christian leaders it is vital for mature believers to be able to recognize the modern si- t- signs that point to a rise of Nicolaitanism in the church today, we need discernment. That's what was spoken about this past Sunday as well, and that's exactly what was spoken uh, time and time again in the in the last few weeks and months that we have that we have live stream messages. Listen to what the Spirit of God is trying to tell the churches today. And then he goes on to say here the following... Uh, List doesn't necessarily represent every indicator of modern Nicolaitanism, however, it provides sufficient evidence to prove a direct parallel in modern times to the spiritual error that was developing in the congregations of Ephesus and Pergamum in the latter years of the first century. Now, here here he goes on at length to some things, and I'm going to try my best uh, due to to time to read it as quickly as I possibly can, and I'm almost feeling a little bit of a sneeze. I've got allergies coming on. It's going away. Let me drink some water. Maybe that'll go away. Pray for me, people. <laughs> I know I try to go fast. All right, so according to this list that he provides, I want you to take a listen to this. So uh, uh, sufficient evidence to prove evidence to prove a direct parallel in modern times. So one of them is no emphasis on living holy and separated from the world. Listen to this modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of inclusivity. in guise. Oh goodness. Let me repeat that sentence again. Modern Nicol, Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of inclusivity. Try to say that sentence five times really fast inclusivity rather than living separate from the world those who espouse this view reason since everyone is right and no one is wrong both spiritually and morally why should there be a need for separation leading denominational churches that have taken the position that the time has come to help lesbians and homosexuals blend into the church community and lead holy lives along with other church members. This sentiment mirrors the teaching of the Nicolaitans of the first century. For these modern-day church leaders promote a message that will make them more acceptable with the multitude instead of one that will put them in opposition with the expectations of modern society. Very, very interesting, isn't it? Very, very true, is it not? When again I tell you that this was written many years ago, quite a number of years ago, I don't really want to go back and and search the date of it exactly right now. But it correlates to the teachings of the Nicolaitans back in the uh, early church times. Now, the other one is no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. Modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of progressiveness, dismissing much of the Bible as being too restrictive, or exclusive of other people's beliefs. Instead of being a guide to absolute truth, the Bible is used merely as a reference for illustrations, motivational sermons, inspirational ideas, principles to build a marriage or business, and so on, and is never to be used to judge or to imply that someone is wrong. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Today, this trend is so rampant in the church that the basic tenets of the Christian faith are largely not known by most churchgoers, especially by those who are younger. Basic Bible doctrines such as the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, sin, salvation, holiness, eternal judgment are often unknown, inadequately taught or considered optional, optional. Where modern Nicolaitanism prevails, sound doctrine is replaced with social action, social justice, and an attempt to appeal to the mass audiences by making people feel better about themselves. Thus, true doctrinal teaching of the Bible is diminished replaced by different variants of watered-down, politically correct instructions." Oh my goodness! Hello! Are, are we not living this? Are, are we not seeing this firsthand? Is this not a, a television screen right before our, our very eyes of what is happening today, in our age? In our, in our era, in this time, in this season, in 2020, we've seen it before. It's just accelerating more, more, and more as the time continues, as this Nicolaitanism ideology is accepted and is brought into the churches. And it should not be, ladies and gentlemen. Can I get an amen to that? Moving on, it says, then no emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical morality. Modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of being open-minded, open-minded. It cries that it is unfair and unjust to assert that beliefs alone are the absolute foundation for truth. Even if we believe what we believe, it makes allowances that we may be wrong, or that others are equally right, but with a different approach. To demonstrate how deeply this damaging influence has already permeated the church, it is statistical. It is a statistical fact that more than half of evangelical Christians do not believe in absolute truth. This was take. This is a, a, a survey of years ago. So imagine how it is now. These statistics, which reflect a general change in society and in the church, are growing at such an alarming rate that these numbers will no doubt be out of date by the time the first issue of this book is published. Isn't that funny? To understand, not funny, but to understand where this trend is headed, Hold an honest conversation with young people under the age of 25 and you will learn firsthand that even many young Christian men and women hold a negative view of people who adhere to absolute truth or absolute morality. My goodness, is that a bucket full of truth? Just try talking to someone who says they are Christian, that they go to church on a weekly basis under the age of 25 and just give them give them a, a, a few questions here and there. Okay, lastly in this part, it says, no exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. <laughs> we know for a fact that this one is all over. Modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of tolerance asserting that everyone has a piece of truth of the truth it ultimately levels the playing field and makes christianity simply a truth amongst other truths if the doctrine of nicolaitanism is followed to its logical conclusion it eventually leads to universalism universalism listen listen which is the belief that everyone and everything, even Satan and hell, will ultimately be reconciled to God. Can you imagine that teaching, that concept, that thought? Can you just imagine what, what an error that is? In fact, it is a pagan premise that there are many roads leading to the same eventual destination in the afterlife and that every person should therefore be able to find his own way. All roads don't lead to Christ. I hate to tell you this. I hate to burst that bubble. Actually, I don't hate to burst that bubble. I'm telling you the truth right now. The fact of the matter is that all roads don't lead to Christ. All roads don't lead to heaven, I mean. Okay, Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only one that we can come to in order for us to reach eternal life with God himself in heaven. It is not other roads. It is not other faiths. The ultimate truth is him and himself, he and, and himself alone. According to this mindset, to categorically declare that Christ alone is the way to heaven's nonsense is nonsense. Christians who adhere to some neglecting principles have not usually followed this teaching to its ultimate conclusion and would be shocked if they did. Yet this is the inevitable destination at which this doctrine must eventually arrive. A recent survey conducted among one of the most Bible-based groups reveals that more than one-third of young Christians in America believe that adherence to the teachings of Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, and other religious leaders all lead to heaven. We are often reminded that young people are the leaders of the next generation. If this is so, what then are the implications of these statistics for the next generation of the church wow wow that's just uh that's just to 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 quote you on on uh, on something that i just could not uh i I didn't want to even try to to rephrase any of this uh to give it to you in a shorter term form i wanted to give it to you completely and totally it goes on to say here at the end, there are many other indicators of modern Nicolaitanism, but there are a notable, these are notable signs. These faulty beliefs reveal doctrinal ignorance and re- result in a powerless, weakened version of Christianity where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for our ongoing repentance is disregarded. Listen, people. We, we must adhere to what the Spirit of God is telling us this day and age. I, I brought up this article that was, uh, that was posted, goodness, it was posted, I think it was last week, uh, on uh, Prophecy News. And I'll just give you the headline because it's too much to go into it. But it says, Pope Francis, dangerous call for interfaith prayer, each to his own God. Those are some of the things that, we are uh, living in. Those are some of the things that we are witnessing this day and age. This is something that is being promoted. I'm not going to go into that. You can look at it uh, yourself at at a later time. Now, in Revelation 2.16, Jesus is saying, repent or else i will come to you quickly and i will fight against them with the sword of my mouth repentance ladies and gentlemen brothers and sisters repentance is the solution to repent is to do a complete change a complete turnaround to change your mind jesus was calling on those in error to repent and change their way of thinking or else he would come to them quickly and perform the necessary surgery Jesus is coming to you today if you're listening to this message and perhaps you have maybe a little bit compromised, just a little tiny bit compromised in your faith, in your walk with God, in your reading of the Word, in conversations with people that they may have asked about something in particular and you may have wanted to kind of like smooth things out or water down the message just a little bit just so that it could sound a little bit more appealing or sound a little bit more uh, accommodating to the person because you know perhaps that they're living in sin and you don't want to offend them. You want to be politically correct. You don't want to step on any toes. I'm here to tell you that that is the way of the Nicolaitans, and Jesus is calling your attention today. Listen, repent of that. Repent of that mindset. Repent of that belief or that doctrine that 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 it is okay to compromise even just a little bit. We are not allowed to do so. We cannot do so. It's not acceptable to Christ. And the same warning that Christ gave the church in Pergamum back in those days, He's giving that warning to us today. We're seeing this disease infecting churches. We're seeing this disease affecting, uh Christians. How, how, for, for in God's name how it, it, for the love of God how can you call yourself a christian and and say believe or think or be on the side of believing that abortion is correct abortion is fine that God does not, God God is not in that. That that is a political thing. I have news for you. It's not a political thing. God has much to say about the shedding of innocent blood. It's not okay. You are compromising truth. Listen. God is here today by the spirit of Almighty God. He's He's wanting to call to your attention. It is not okay. Repent repent you you can absolutely uh, come alongside of a of a person of a woman who is considering abortion and you can love on her. You can pray with her. You can tell her the truth. You can lead her to pregnancy help centers like Heartbeat of Miami, Pregnancy Help Medical Clinics in Miami, Florida, where they will be there to give you all of the advice, all of the counseling, all of your choices, everything for free because we as a church support them and other individuals who believe in in the life of the unborn is sacred. We support this ministry, and I hope you do too. But how can you say that it is okay and call yourself a Christian? I hate to step on your toes this, this evening, but I'm telling you the truth right now by the Spirit of God. It is not okay. It is not okay. In order for these believers to become committed and determined, firmly grounded, a firmly grounded church, they could no longer tolerate compromise with the world or maintain a slack attitude. They had to rise up, expose the disease in their midst and repent of their ways. Repent of their ways. Now in verse 17, Jesus promises the following. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he goes on to say these beautiful promises. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who received it. I love that. That that sentence right there is so jam-packed with promises, the promises of Jesus. So I want to break it down just a little bit for us tonight. We know from scripture that God provided manna to the Israelites after the Exodus. Remember? Psalm 78, 23 to 25 reads, Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. (laughs) He sent them food in abundance. Praise the name of the Lord. So once again, we realize that those hearing the message of Jesus uh, to Pergamum related to this section here that Jesus talks about. God supernaturally provided manna to approximately 3 million people for a period of 40 years after delivering them from bondage. Praise God. They were given provision each day and they were not allowed to hoard the manna. This was a true test of their obedience and trustworthiness to God for their daily provision. Amen, Even the prophet Elijah was given food from heaven in his desperate in his desperate and depression state when he was running away from Queen Jezebel. You remember back when uh, he was running away uh, from Queen Jezebel. I'm not going to go into any of that uh, because it would be too long, but you can read it for yourself. But the Israelites as well as Elijah were provided supernatural food from heaven to strengthen and encourage them to know that God was their provider and was fully aware of their situation and their need. Hallelujah. Such was true with the church in Pergamum. They, they had to have had a joyous uh, 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 relief, if you will, receiving this message, knowing yet again that Jesus was in their midst and he knew everything that was going on. And, and so it is true for us today. In the desert, God commanded Moses to hide a portion of the manna in a pot to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember that? As you know, the Ark stood in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now... This is kind of interesting because there's actually a Jewish tradition that says that the Ark of the Covenant and its contents uh, were hidden underground by Jeremiah the prophet when the first temple was destroyed and the Ark would remain hidden until the coming of the Messiah. Another rabbinical teaching states that in the future messianic age, this supernatural manna will come from heaven as food for the faithful. I find that very interesting. Now, regardless of of any truth to this tradition what they teach on, I I, I happen to believe that there's a, there's a lot of truth in that, but it was nonetheless a promise given by Jesus and they knew they could count on his promises. They they knew that. They knew that they can count on everything that Jesus had to say in this in this message to the church in Pergamum. Lastly, what I want to do tonight I know we've covered a lot of ground. It's been kind of fast, fast fast-paced. But lastly, I want us to take a look here real quick at verse 17, where Jesus promises to give those that overcome a white uh, uh, overcome a white stone, because if you run through these verses, you you might pick a few things here and there and say, well, he's talking about manna and a hidden manna, and now he's talking about a white stone. But as we dig deeper, we understand what Jesus means. But to the uh, the early church would have known this reference as as uh, as the white stone, for example, that Jesus is talking about. The early church would have known this reference as small objects or tokens used were used as rewards. Uh, they were very common during uh, the New Testament times. Some would have an inscription on them, and and others uh, would uh, perhaps didn't. But this was this was um somewhat of, a, of an award uh, mechanism if you will or recognition uh, they were token they were in the form of objects of tokens of amulets and things and things like that many of them were used for pagan affairs while other tokens uh, were used to be given to athletes as medals like we do you know in, in in Olympics and things like that nature that we were given they're given medals or or, or that kind of thing but Jesus' reference to a white stone was assuring the overcomers in Pergamum that there was a holy and higher gift and reward given by Almighty God that would never compare to any amulet or token with pagan references or inscriptions written on them. You see, because those uh, amulets or stones or tokens or whatever it is, uh, the rewards that were given in Roman times, they were many of them were attached to the pagan cults and pagan practices. And in, in many of the inscriptions, actually, uh, you could actually see uh, um, some were dedicated to certain gods and, and whatnot. But here, Jesus is talking about a, a white stone that he's going to give. Amen? That he's going to give. So, the new name written on the stone, which no man knows but he who receives it, verse, is actually a reference to a new name given in in Roman culture to anyone assuming the position of a higher status. Again, this is very interesting. Certain privileges and even the right of inheritance came with this new rank. So, if you recall in scriptures... There are similar examples of names being changed by God, such as Abraham, uh, uh, Sarah, Jacob, Simon Peter, Paul. We know all of these uh, names that were changed by God. Jesus promised those in Pergamum that if they would remain steadfast and faithful, even in the intense pressures and uncertainty of everyday life for the believer, they would reach a higher and supernatural level. So this is what Jesus was referring to when he talks about that he would give them a white stone and a name that no one knew except the one. Hallelujah. What a beautiful promise. And what a beautiful way to to end the message to the church in Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. Right? And then he goes on to give them these beautiful promises. Do you know that his promises never expire? Hallelujah. And his promises, if if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, his promises remain the same today for us in this present time, in, in this year of 2020, 2021, 2022, lest the Lord tarries. His promises are true. His promises are amen. Hallelujah. Now as I conclude this message, again, I want to pull from or adopt a section here in No Room for Compromise. I'm going to find my page here if you bear with me for a moment. How many of you have been enjoying these messages? How many of you really, how many of you have learned some new things? Not just one thing, but a few new things, amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. So here's how I'd like to conclude today's teaching. In the book No Room for Compromise, what the Spirit is saying to the church today it says here, number one, abhor doctrines that encourage believers to embrace compromise with the world. Messages that promote moral relativism relativism and inclusiveness over absolute truth dilute the message of the gospel and strip it of its life-saving power. Number two, again, what is the Spirit saying to the church today? Accept the word of God as your absolute authority and allow it to thoroughly equip you. Amen? To thoroughly equip you. The sure compass of God's truth will safely navigate you through these perilous times and enable you to take your God-ordained position in His plans and His purposes. Do not... Do not believe the lies of the enemy. You have a plan. God has a plan for you and a purpose. There is a plan and a purpose in your life. Do not allow others to ever come and tell you something otherwise. You have a plan, a God ordained plan and purpose in your life, and He will equip you. Amen. Number three, stay alert for the signs of spiritual infection worming its way into the midst of your company of believers. Do not tolerate doctrines that corrupt or deviate from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven three and 4. Number four, again, what is the Spirit saying to the church today? Choose to live free from the contamination of the world. Oh my goodness, we've said this over and over and over again. Do not get contaminated with the things of the world. Then draw from the Holy Spirit the spiritual nourishment you need for sustained strength to complete your divine assignment. Hallelujah. Number five, a sure reward awaits you when you choose to endure, remain faithful, and refuse to compromise your standards and conform to the world. Glory be to God. Number six, and lastly, Jesus calls you to be an overcomer. Make it your continual and unrelenting goal to maintain victory in every sphere of life as long as you are on this earth. Hallelujah. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Glory to God. Glory to God. I pray that this two-part message of the message to the church in Pergamum has uh, deeply rooted you, grounded you in the Word of God like never before. I, I pray to God that you would find it in your heart to go back to the other messages and to really meditate. Meditate. And check your heart and ask God to check your heart to make sure that there is no room for compromise, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in your life that you have been compromising on. And if you have, be quick to repent. Quick to repent and ask God to forgive you. And then stay true to God's word because it is truth. It is the only truth. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you this evening. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you for bringing to our attention all of these things, Lord. Thank you for bringing them before the forefront of our minds that we can take a step back for just a moment and analyze where we are in our walk with you where we are in our relationship with you so that we can tweak or correct whatever it is that we need to correct. We have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that is open for you and what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us today. So we receive it, God. We repent of our ways and we accept your ways, which are the only true way, the only true ways. And if there's anyone out there that has been listening to this message and you have never actually received the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and you'd like to do that today. Perhaps you have heard of Jesus, you've gone to church, but you've never actually made a commitment to Jesus Christ and to walk in His ways and to learn more about His Word in the Bible. I invite you today to do so. Would you pray this prayer together with me and just say, Father God, right there out loud where you are, in the mighty name of Jesus, I open up my heart to you, and I ask you to come in. Forgive me of my sins, for there have been many. I ask you to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, and I will walk in your ways all the days of my life. Show me your ways. Show me your word, and I want to live for you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe it with my heart. And I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you are now a believer of Jesus Christ. You're now in the household of faith. And the angels in heaven are rejoicing and having a party right now just because you prayed that prayer for the first time. Perhaps you prayed that prayer for a second time or maybe numerous times because you've now come back to the Lord. Well, praise God. We're celebrating as well together with you. Send us an email. Send us a, a, a message via social media. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. We'd love to come in agreement with you and pray for your needs. Amen. And I just want to invite you once again to tune in on Sunday uh, at 10 p.m. Come to church at 10 p.m. Tune in at around 10.45-ish in the morning on social media, YouTube and Facebook as well uh, as that's the time more or less that we come on. But just be in tune for those messages as well. And tune in for next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we're going to actually go into another church. The message to the church of Thyatira. So God bless you. Thank you again for joining us this evening. I pray a blessing, the blessing of the Lord upon you. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen and amen. We'll see you next week. God bless you.